All right. Well, hey, good morning. How's everyone doing? You guys are all quiet this morning. Hey, uh, my name's Shane. I'm the pastor of Weekend Ministries here at the church, and so glad to have you here. Uh, here at Baseline, welcome. Grand Avenue, hello to you as well. So good uh, to have you here via video. Uh, if you're new with us today, we do church at two campuses, one obviously right here in this room, and then right around the corner on Grand Avenue, there's a whole other church having church this morning. So hello to you guys as well. Great to have all of you with us this morning. Um, Junior high, high school students, uh, both campuses, you stay right with us here in, in this room. Uh, at both campuses, out in the lobby, there's a sermon note guide for you junior high and high school students. We'd love for you to interact with, with us in the sermon and be engaged that way. Uh, parents, lead the way for your students. Um, uh, help them to see that mom and dad are engaged in the sermon and listening and taking notes and, and that you can even talk to your kids after the, after the service about some of the things that are talked about here. Uh, hey, before we get in um, into the sermon, Peter and Aaron Bond, they go to our church. They just had a baby a couple days ago. Uh, his name is Nolan James, and his last name is Bond, so his name is James Bond. That is so awesome. <laughs> that was very clever. Nolan James Bond, just a couple days ago. That's Peter and Aaron. Peter is, uh, they've been coming to our church for a few years now. Peter's the assistant basketball coach at APU, and, and his wife, both of them, graduated from APU, and, uh, and so great to have them at our church. Just had a baby. Uh, Pastor Chris uh, will be back in a couple weeks. Uh, so here's, here's the timeline for our sermon series in Jonah. I'm going to finish uh, the chapter one today in Jonah. Next week, uh, JD, Pastor JD, is going to do all of chapter two. The week after that, Stephen's going to do all of chapter three. And then uh, the first weekend of August, Pastor Chris will return and finish our series in Jonah of chapter four. And uh, you can pray for Pastor Chris and Michelle. They're in a conference this week in uh, Tennessee at the Acts 29 conference. If you've been coming to church for a little bit, you know Acts 29 is an organization, organization that we support here at Foothill, not just mentally, but uh, physically with our, our financial giving. Portion of your giving every single week goes straight to Acts 29. They're a church planting organization that plants churches here in the LA area, uh, in the country, and around the world. And so uh, Chris and Michelle are at that this week, at that conference. So pray, praying for them. They'll be back with us in just a couple weeks um, uh, with us. Okay, so today we're in our third sermon in the book of Jonah. And today I get the, the privilege of speaking to you on one of the most famous stories probably in all of the Bible. So there's a few stories in the Bible that if I told you, asked you to fill in the blank for me, you'd be able to do it. So if I said Daniel and the lion's den, you could do it. If I said the story of Jesus dying on a cross, Grand Avenue, you can join in as well. Uh, if I said David and Goliath. So today we are in the story of Jonah and the whale or big fish, depending on what church you grew up in. Okay. So the title of this sermon series is Jonah and, and we've titled it the, the freedom of a merciful God. And the reason we've done that may seem odd that we're, we're looking at a book named Jonah about a man named Jonah, but yet it's odd that we're all calling it the freedom of a merciful God because in reality, that's what this, this entire book is about. This whole book is about God and points to one person, and that is Jesus. This book here is not just a love letter to you. It's not just an instruction manual or a how-to for your life. This whole book that we call the Bible is about God and points to Jesus. So even this small little book, Jonah, that fits in my Bible, fits on two pages, is about the freedom of our God and points to Jesus. 
So today, we're going to look at the freedom of our God to pursue whoever he wants to pursue. So this, if you're taking notes today, this is the big idea over the whole sermon, that God is free to pursue whoever he wants to, okay? It's the idea that God is not obligated to save you, that God uh, is not obligated to bring salvation to you at all, that any saving work done by God in your life is done so freely out of the free will of God. Uh, J.D. touched on this a couple weeks ago when he opened up this book, that, that God operates in this total freedom unlike us. And so, look, before we dive into the deeper parts of the story today, I think it's crucial for us to hear and understand the story just at a story level at first. I mean, if you went to church even five times in your whole life, uh, you know this story of Jonah and the whale. And in fact, if, you, if this is your first time in a church today, you've probably heard of the story of Jonah and the whale, a famous kid's story. Uh, it's meant for more than just kindergarten students. It's a simple story. It may seem simple, but it's very deep um, as we dive into it. So this morning, turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, or you can turn on your Bibles and your phone or tablet, whatever you use. I want you to read it with me. So if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back of the room in this room. Uh, in Grand Avenue, there's one right in the seat back in front of you. Um, so we're going to read starting in verse 7. Today, you might have seen this up here. I've got uh, a friend of mine up here called the flannel graph. Uh, how many of you uh, have seen a flannel graph before? Good. So all of you grew up in church for sure, because this flannel graph, this flannel graph was, has never been used outside of church at all. I mean, you don't see it in board meetings or press conferences. I mean, this is like a church tool in and of itself. So uh, Jonah chapter one, verse seven, before seven, here's what's happened. God told Nineveh, or God told Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach against that city. There's a great sin in that city. But Jonah instead, he runs from God. He takes off 2000 miles that way to the city of Tarshish on a boat when he should be going 500 miles that way to Nineveh. And so as Stephen preached last week, the huge storm came upon the boat. All the sailors, they started crying out to their gods for them to help them. And then the captain goes down to the boat to wake up the sleeping Jonah. And then now we're in verse seven. Okay, so Jonah chapter one, verse seven. So listen as I read it. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So this is our story, okay? So let's tackle this up, up top before we zoom in. You've got, really got three characters in the story. The first character you have in the story is Jonah, okay? And you first see Jonah and he's sleeping, okay? And when he's sleeping, he likes to wear green. But then when the captain wakes up, wakes him up, he comes up to the top of the ship and he changes to his yellow robe, okay? So this is Jonah, 
Jonah is sleeping, but then he's woken up and he's standing on the ship. He's awoken up and he is on the run. Okay, so Jonah is our first character in our story today and he's running from God. He's running from obedience to God. And what's crazy is that Jonah is a prophet. Okay, so Jonah, he knows a lot about God. And not only does he know a lot about God, he has literally heard the voice of God. He has seen miracles. He has seen God work. So he knows God up close, and yet he is still running from what God has called him to do. The second character we have in the story, uh, it's really a group of characters, is we have our, our sailors here. So we got three men here, and they're our sailors. They're kind of like the innocent bystanders of this whole thing. Okay, this guy's pointing at the storm, and, and they're all basically just standing. I mean, they're the innocent, innocent ones in the story, uh, not spiritually necessarily. I know we're all sinners, but they were just going about their normal duties. Okay, they were, they were sailors, so they were cleaning the ship. They were loading the ship. They're hoisting the sails. They're making food. They're catching fish, and all of a sudden, they are caught up in this cosmic superstorm caused by God and, and uh, of the on-the-run prophet here, Jonah. And the third character, the last character we have in the story is God himself, which was represented by a lightning bolt because uh, God sent the storm. God sent the storm upon the boat. God is the one pursuing here. God is pursuing one man, and that is our on-the-run prophet Jonah here. One God pursuing one man on this boat, and his name is Jonah. So you've got this story. You have this story, arguably one of the most famous stories in the Bible, taught on a flannel graph in children's church all across the country for the past couple decades. Um, and, and we look at it, and it seems on the outside it's just some nice children's story. But today, we're going to look at some huge adult-sized truths for us today. As I've read this passage this week and read it again and studied it more, I realize that there are some deep lessons for us to learn today. You see, first off, church, my life belongs to somebody else. Uh, uh, here on earth, very practically, my life, my life belongs to my wife, uh, my wife Katie. The fir- the fir- when I said I do 13 years ago at our wedding, my life became hers. I lay down my wants. I lay down my desires. I no longer can just do whatever I want. I can't just stay up till two in the morning playing Xbox anymore. I can't just go out with my guy friends anytime I want to watch a movie or do this or that. My life belongs to her, and I lay my life down like Christ loved the church. And on a spiritual level, my life belongs to Christ. And if you are a child of God in Christ, your life belongs to him as well. And we desire to please him. We desire the spirit to work in us, giving us new desires and towards obedience to Christ. And you see, sinners can run from God, and God is absolutely free to pursue them. And there's some of you even here today that you have been running from God, and there isn't any more distance between you and him than there was a year ago, because God is pursuing you, and he is determined to save you. And you know this too. You've sensed God in your own life. You've sensed him chasing you down. There's been too many coincidental storms in your life. There's been too many coincidental big fish in your life who come and you're here today and God is pursuing you because he is free to pursue whoever he wants to. So let's dive into some of this doctrine that we're going to learn today in Jonah. The first huge adult-sized point I want you to see today, number one, is that God pursues those he wants to, but not everyone, okay? God pursues those that he wants to, but not everyone, okay? So theologians call this idea unconditional election. So look at verse 7. Keep your Bibles open to Jonah, by the way. We're going to just be walking through this today. Look at verse 7. And they said to one another, this is the sailors, 
Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So Jonah is running. Okay, obviously we know this. Jonah is running and these pagans decide to cast lots. And in ancient times, uh, people would use to, to try to uh, know what divine will was for their life. They would use things like watching the patterns that the birds were flying, or they may look at natural phenomena around them. Or in this case, they may use casting of lots. And casting of lots is literally like a modern day rock, paper, scissors. Okay. So if you have children, you've all heard them at some point. I've heard mine in the living room say, okay, ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. And the loser always says, okay, best two out of three, best two out of three, right? And so in this story, you literally have these pagans, they are going and they're like, let's just cast lots. It's a roll of a dice. It's who drew the shortest stick. It's the rock, paper, scissors idea. And what's crazy is that God actually uses the casting of dice, rock, paper, scissors, so to speak, to point and to shine the light on the fact that he is chasing Jonah. The lot falls to him. So what do they do next? Look at verse 8. So lot falls to Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us, they're talking to Jonah here, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your country? What are your people? So once the sailors, they figure out, look, this whole thing is because of Jonah, they start grilling him. I mean, they take him like, they, in the midst of the storm, the waves are crashing on the boat. The boat is just rocking like crazy. No doubt there's some sailors just puking their guts out because of this storm. And what do they do? They start grilling him. They're grabbing him. Like, who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do? So God uses casting of lots, and he now uses these pagan sailors to draw the attention to everyone on the boat that he is chasing Jonah. The sailors start asking him, and Jonah answers them. Look at verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Translation there, Jonah says, I serve the God who made everything that exists. And look, it hasn't been that long in the span of history for, uh, for when people have heard about this Hebrew God. So this Hebrew God who delivered the Hebrews from Egypt this Hebrew God who parted the Red Sea, who crushed the most powerful army at that time in the Egyptian army. And the, the sailors hear this, and there's one man in the story named Jonah running from one God. And he says, I'm running from that God. And look what the sailors say in verse 10. It's a, such a right response. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, rightly so. And he said, and they said to him, what is this that you have done? Okay, so these pagans, again, they're outside the Israelite community. There is legend, there is tales of this Hebrew God, tales of this God who came upon the Egyptians and, and struck them down with 10 plagues, the God who destroyed their army, the God who allowed water to come from a rock in the desert for his people, the God who crushed the walls of Jericho like my three-year-old daughter with her brother's Lego sets. I mean, the God who just crushed everything. And the sailors know of this God. They've heard of this God, and they rightly say, what have you done? They look at Jonah like, why? Why are you running? So this is where we see the sailors in their true character as innocent bystanders. They're not innocent spiritually. We're all sinners, but within the story and who God is pursuing. You see from these first four verses very plainly that God is chasing one man, and that one man is Jonah. And the sailors are helping to shine light on the fact. They use casting of lots. They grill them, all pointing to the fact that God is chasing Jonah. And they rightly proclaim, what are you doing? 
And you might be wondering, why are you drawing so much attention, Shane, to the fact that God is chasing this one man? Because remember, like we said at the beginning of this this sermon series, the book entitled Jonah is not really about Jonah. It's really about God. And more importantly, this sermon series is about God being free to be merciful to whomever he wants to be merciful and free to pursue. We see today God pursuing, free to pursue whoever he wants to pursue. This seemingly children's story has some huge truths to it. The central depth of the gospel says this. It's going to be on the screen, hopefully. It says that the death of Jesus and the beneficiaries of that death were chosen before creation. Okay, so I'm going to say this again. I want you to hear it. I want you to think upon it. If you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. The death of Jesus and the beneficiaries of that death were chosen before creation. So 1 Corinthians helps us to see this very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus. So if you are a child of God in Christ, you, God chose to put you in Christ. We are united to Christ by faith in him, yes, but have you ever asked yourself, why did I choose to believe? Have you ever asked yourself, what caused me to believe? What caused me to have faith in God? And the answer is, God is the author of our faith, not us. He caused me to choose. He caused me to believe, as Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So he chose us before, Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world to have faith in Jesus for our salvation. You see this even in Revelation 13, verse 8, the end of your Bible. If you're taking notes, just write that. Revelation 13, 8. You see that in there before, it says, before Adam was created, before anyone was born, there was this book in heaven naming all those who were chosen. Revelation tells us the names who are written in this book Do not follow or worship the beast or the Antichrist listed in Revelation. It's because their names are in that book, because they have been chosen, that they do not worship or follow the beast. His choosing causes us to follow. John 10, 26, Jesus now on earth exclaiming, he tells the Pharisees that the reason they don't believe, the reason they don't hear his voice is because they aren't part of his sheep. They aren't part of his flock. So listen, church, this is very crucial for you to understand, for us to grasp hold of that God's choosing is not based on foreseen faith in your life. So you might say, oh yes, so God God chose me before the foundation of the world because he looked through the time and portal and saw that I would have faith in him and he chose me before the foundations of the world. What I'm saying today is that God did not look through that portal of time before Adam was created, before the Apostle Paul, before Martin Luther, before Chris Lewis, before any of us in here, and says, ooh, I see that they're going to have faith in me. I see that their faith has has been risen towards me in the future, so now I'm going to write their name in this book. Now I am going to to, to save them because of their faith in me. 
No, we all choose to have faith in God because he simply chose us to. And I, you're probably thinking, Shane, I thought we were studying this book of Jonah, uh, a whale coming and swallowing a man and spitting him up on the shores of Nineveh three days later. And as you study and read this passage, we study this portion of Jonah in chapter one that says that God pursues those he wants to. And you have to admit that that kind of concept is very humbling even to me. That before the foundations of the world, God would choose some to have faith in him, which by default means that he chose some not to have faith in him. And it's humbling to me. I, I read passages like uh, the beginning of your Bible in Exodus. You can write this down, Exodus. There, You read throughout that, that, that book and you see how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The heart of Pharaoh was not hardened by his own actions. It simply says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that hardening is what led to Pharaoh's ultimate defeat and ultimate death. And you keep going and you see even in 1 Samuel, you see King Saul, the first king of the Israelites, and how God hardened his heart. The actions of Saul did not harden his heart. God hardened his heart. And that hardening by God led to King Saul's defeat and ultimate death. And this idea, before the foundations of the world, before I did anything that may seem good in God's eyes, before I jacked up my own life, before my mistakes, before anything that happened in my life, God said, I'm going to save him. And that's humbling to me. That even in my sin, that while I was a still a sinner, Christ saved me out of that. And that's a humbling thought for all of us, that God pursues us, not because of anything you have done, but because he simply wants to. All right, we got to keep moving this morning, okay? So God pursues those he wants to, which leads us to number two. Point number two, surrender to God's pursuit. It's a simple idea here. Surrender to God's pursuit. God calls out to you, and because he has chosen you before the foundation of the world, you now have this desire, this ability now to say, yes, I will follow you. It's a simple call and response of the Christian life. Matthew 4 says it so plainly and so easy for us to understand. Jesus walking the earth, the fourth chapter of Matthew, he's walking and he decides to call disciples to himself. And he sees Peter and Andrew and they're, they're on the shore of the lake and they're going to do some fishing. And he simply walks up to Peter and Andrew. He simply walks up to them and he says, follow me. And it simply says they dropped their nets and followed him. This is the idea. Peter and Andrew did not call out and say, Jesus, we want to follow you. Jesus, take us with you. They were going about their business. Jesus called and they followed. They dropped their lives. They dropped their current jobs. They dropped their families. And they simply surrendered to the call of Jesus and followed him. Jesus chooses and they, he called and they follow in obedience. So I have this, um, so I've got five kids, and uh, a lot of times it's fun to play with my children, okay? We have 
fun time. I get home from work, uh, Saturday, whatever, we're having fun. Go into the living room sometimes. They're all sitting around playing some games or watching a show. And I look around and I simply say, who wants the finger of doom? Okay, this is something we have in our house. Okay, it's not torturous. Don't worry. It's not what you're thinking even. Okay, we have lots of dooms in our house. There's the hand of doom. There's the spanking of doom. There's the ultra spanking of doom. Okay, and these are all fun. Okay, don't worry. I don't torture my kids. Um, but there's this finger of doom. And when I say it and I call it out, they literally scatter. They're all running. And okay, there again. They're running with smiles on their face. This is a fun thing, okay? They're, I don't torture my kids, please. Okay, so they're, they start running, and my little girl just screams like a little girl. Ah, she runs with her hands up. They all, actually, I've never done it. I've never done the finger of doom to my girl, okay? But all my boys, they've gotten it, okay? And so they run around, and they're like, no, no, no. And I finally, I sovereignly, in my own will, I look, and I choose one. I say, I'm going to choose Jonas today. Jonas, you're getting the finger of doom. He's running. I back him in a corner. He's like, no, no, no. He fights. I mean, he puts up a fight. And, and I finally get him down, and I pin his hands, and I pin his arms down, and he knows it's coming, and he's shaking his head because he knows it's coming, and he finally, I get his head, and he, there's this moment, so I take my finger, and I put it up their nose. <laughs> and then they have to surrender at this point because they know it's coming, and then I put it in their mouth. And I know, I know, I know. But they love it. They laugh at it. It's so fun. It goes over really briefly. And then, like, and then I'll kid you not, some other kid's like, do finger of doom on me, Dad. Do finger of doom on me. Okay, it's this fun thing. But at some moment, while I'm pinning them down, they have this, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. And, they're, and then all of a sudden, they, they know fighting is futile at this point. They just surrender. They give up. They stop their head. There's like, it's going to happen. I just got to take it from my dad here. And I always tell my kids, look, guys, I'm telling you great story. I'm giving you great stories. Down the line, when you're going to college, you have stories to tell. Like, what's the most embarrassing thing your dad's ever done to you? They're like, well, I've got 50 things my dad's done to me. And so there's this moment with finger of doom as the backdrop. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 11. So let's get back to our story. So surrender to God's pursuit, okay? We surrender to this pursuit of God. Look at verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? The sailors are talking here. That the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So here, look, Jonah finally realizes that, that running is futile. He comes to this realization that this is the end of the line. There's no more running from God. And I'm sure he had no idea that this big, gigantic blue whale or great fish was going to come swallow him. But he definitely knew that, that running was pointless at this point. The only thing left for him to do was just to surrender to this pursuit that God was saying to him. You know, and some, some of you wrongly believe, and I, I remember thinking this, in the past, some of you wrongly believe uh, or have been taught that easy things come from God and that hard things come from Satan. But we can see over and over in the Bible, in the Bible that hard things sometimes come from God. And this storm set up by God continues to rage until Jonah surrenders. And your life, church, your life has had, it will have, or currently does have a crisis at some point. At some point, there is going to be, or is right now, a storm that is thoroughly and completely beyond your control to manage or to calm. 
It could be unrepentant, unchecked sin in your life, that God causes this storm to bring that sin to the surface, that you will repent and to surrender to his lordship over your life. It could be a storm caused by external forces, by maybe a divorce or cancer or a lost job or infertility or your small business just isn't making it. You don't have enough money to make it this month or your children, your children just aren't walking with the Lord like you wanted them to. And We can know at some point, church, there will be storms in your life. And that storm can be a measure of God's mercy in your life if you surrender. That storm can be evidence of God's pursuit of you. And the only answer, the only reaction we have as Christians is to surrender to the Lord what is his plan for your life, what his will is for your life. And look at what the sailors initially try to do. Look at verse 13. So they know what to do, they know what to do right? Throw Jonah overboard. But 13 says this, verse 13. Nevertheless, okay, they know what to do, but nevertheless... The men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. I love this word. It says, nevertheless, verse 13 tells us, even though they knew what to do, even though they knew what surrender looked like, they chose to do things on their own, which tells us that surrender, if you're taking notes, write this down, surrender is tied to obedience. Surrender is tied to obedience. So when we surrender to God's pursuit, it's tied to our obedience to him. Look, Jonah, we see the whole chapter one, Jonah and the sailors, they did this here, but we see this, that we can learn from chapter one that that whatever actions that humans undertake in chapter one, whatever actions they undertake, they fail. But we see that whatever God endeavors, whatever God sets out to do will succeed. God hurled the storm on the boat. God threatened the ship to break up. God calmed the sea eventually, we'll see in a second. God, we'll see in a moment, brought this great big fish to swallow Jonah. God caused that big fish to swallow to Nineveh. You know what to do is right. You know what the right thing to do is. But Jonah says, but nevertheless, you have unchecked sin in your life. You know you need to confess it. You know you need to ask forgiveness for this, but you decide to keep it locked up, wasting away at your bones. You know that guy you said yes to marry isn't the right guy. All your friends and family, they're telling you the same thing. But you fall into the romantics of what this relationship is, and you go on with marrying him. Nevertheless, you know you're addicted to materialism. You know you love new electronic gadgets, a new car that comes out, and your heart is pulled every time these new things come out, a boat or whatever it may be, and, and you know the right thing to do. You know God has put in your heart this thing that says, you know what, you need to start giving and being generous to other people to fight that urge. You know what to do. But nevertheless, you put it off and you say, I know what to do. I mean, Katie and I are going through this even in a small way right now. We sold our home about nine months ago. And every urge, every urge of uh, strategy and efficiency in me says, uh, we're going to sell our home in Chino. We're going to move closer and we're going to move here and move from there to here in one move. We're going to sell a house and buy a house. But we had this check in our spirit that, we need to wait. So we sold our house and we're renting right now. And every time we go out, my wife and I will go out on a weekend. We'll look at open houses. We'll go to this place and this place. Look at homes. I, I have this pull. I just, like, just want to settle down. And, and I feel this urge to wait. And I'm fighting that in me all the time. 
because I know that every action undertaken solely by a human will fail. That every action undertaken by God, every endeavor by God will succeed. So Jonah finally surrenders, okay? Look, look at verse 14. It's going to be thrown into the ocean now. So, therefore, they called out to the Lord. Now the sailors are like, okay, we got to do this. So they call out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For, look at this phrase. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Even the sailors here are recognizing that God does as he pleases. In verse 15, they picked up Jonah, the one with the yellow rope, because he's awake, picked up Jonah put him in the ocean. They hurled him into the sea, and then the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You have the sailors now in verse 16 acknowledge the fact that God does what he pleases. He pursues those he wants to. And then there's this brief moment of surrender by even the sailors where they offer sacrifices. They make vows. And I'll be honest with you, there, we, we don't know anything more about these sailors. This is the end of the line for our story with the sailors today. Was there acknowledgement of God in their life? Was it, was it this acknowledgement where we do those crazy things? We make those vows to God in the storm where we say, God, release me from this financial crisis and I promise you I will tithe 12% to you every single week. Or God, heal me from this disease in my life and I will tell everyone about what you've done. I'll go overseas and be a missionary. Vows we make in the storms of life that don't really hold up under the sunny weather of life. Or God in his sovereignty deciding to save the sailors in the midst of this storm because he wanted to. We don't know anything more about these sailors, so we don't know what to say for sure. But we know that God pursued Jonah, and he's going to continue even in the sea. God pursues those he wants to. So we surrender to God in obedience because of his pursuit. And then lastly, number three, if you're taking notes, we rest in God's pursuit. So we surrender to him, tied to obedience, and finally we rest in God's pursuit. Look at our final verse for the day, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish. You've been waiting for this blue whale all along, sitting here on this flanograph. Here he goes. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly. There we go. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Boom. Done. All that Jonah had been through at this point, everything he had gone through, the storm, the waves, and the wind, done. The storm passed, the sea calm, the yelling and the grilling from the sailors has stopped, and it's now just Jonah and God inside the belly of the whale. Jonah has been running. He's been now forced to rest in God's pursuit. He's been now forced to recall the events of the past few days, to bring into focus that the entire time God was in control, God was in control of the entire situation that when Jonah thought he knew better, when he thought he was in control, that he could run that way away from where God was calling him to, that he is reminded now that it's all about God and that God was in control the entire time. And now Jonah's three-day temporary quarters in the belly of that whale give him perfect opportunity to sit and rest in God's pursuit of him to learn something about who he is and who, more importantly, who God is. And so as we close, you can put your notes down, your Bibles, as it ends here. It gives us time to pause. Jonah's sitting in that whale, three days and three nights, and J.D.'s going to talk about what happened inside that whale. 
for those three days, but it gives us a chance to pause and to learn about who more specifically, who Jesus is. I would be remiss if I preached a passage on this, ver- this passage of Jonah and didn't point out for you who Jesus is because Jesus, Jesus is the greater prophet. Jesus is the greatest prophet. And he's greater than Jonah, Matthew 12, 41. Jesus steps on the scene and attests of himself. He says, Jesus says in Matthew 12, someone greater than Jonah is here and he's talking about himself. He's referring to him. He's saying, you know about Jonah. You know that story of the prophet Jonah. I am greater than him. And so let me point out to you as we close a few ways that he's greater. Number one, the book of Jonah opens up with a word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's how the book opens up with. But John chapter one opens up that says, Jesus is the word of the Lord. Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. But Jesus, Jesus came to bring the Lord's presence. Jonah was a sinner who ran from God, but Jesus is God who runs after sinners. Jonah was a Hebrew sinner. Jesus was a Hebrew savior. Jonah slept in a stormy boat because he was overwhelmed. Jesus, in Mark chapter 4, slept in a stormy boat because he was at peace. Jonah could not command a storm to be calm, but Jesus did in Mark chapter 4. Jonah was thrown into the sea to appease the wrath of God. Jesus was killed on a cross and thrown into a grave to appease the wrath of God towards us. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Jesus was in the grave for three days. Jonah needed a savior, but Jesus is Jonah's savior. So we see, even in this narrative of Jonah, that God will do what he wants to do. He will pursue those he wants to pursue. And we see that Jesus, we see Jesus even in Jonah. So let me speak to a couple different people as we close. Christian, running in disobedience. You're Jonah this morning. You are Jonah, running away from what God has called you to do. God chasing you today, and you know it in your hearts And my plea to you today would be to surrender to God's pursuit of you. Surrender to him in your unchecked, your unrepentant sin. You may be a Christian who just, who loves to gossip. And you know this, nevertheless. You love being the one with the information, with the juicy morsel, who has the inside scoop on information. And you slip it to your friends through a prayer request and you do it over and you do it over and over again because they're just your best friends and they're not going to tell anyone. Jonas would tell us this morning that obedience comes through surrender to the pursuit of God towards you. You may be a dude here who, who has an issue with displaying emotion. You love God, but your pride in your life will not allow you to show emotion in front of others. So your family never sees you overwhelmed by the grace of God. Your wife never gets to see you affected by the fact that God has pursued you and he didn't have to. Your kids never get to see you moved with affection towards God that he has pursued you and he didn't have to do that. And Jonah would say today, surrender to God and your pride today that you harbor in your life and allow your obedience to God to lead your family in a way that reflects the true nature of what a grateful Christian looks like. Or you may be a person here today who's just, you say, saying I've never responded. I've never responded to God's pursuit of me. Um, you may have heard this story growing up on a flannel graph, maybe similar to this one. 
Maybe you grew up to church a few times, a few times your parents think they needed church, or maybe your grandma took you to a church a few times growing up. Maybe someone that happens to find yourself now at church once in a while, you're not sure how. You happen to have one of those Christian friends in your life, a coworker, a neighbor, and that question about what you do with Jesus always comes up in your life, and you can't get it out of your head. You can't seem to stop thinking about who God is, how it affects you, but you continue to run from him. You continue running from him by living however you want to because by living however you want to, you're reminding yourself that you're in control and not God. And God, our pursuer today, is here speaking to you through the book of Jonah, reminding you, listen, all human actions will fail. But every endeavor, every endeavor set out by God will succeed. And you sense him chasing you. Find yourself here today. You sense that tug on your heart. Your heart beats even faster sometimes when I talk. And you know what the right thing to do is. And the question before you today is, what will you do with God pursuing you? Jesus is the greater Jonah. He gives us the life that we cannot earn. Running from the Lord is futile. Church, I serve the Lord. Can't say I've never run, but I definitely serve the Lord. He... He is the, my God, the creator, as Jonah says, of dry land and sea, the God who made everything. I serve him and my life and my sin and my family and my finances and who I am is surrendered to Christ. And my prayer for all of us is that you would do the same today. So let's pray towards that end. God, I love you. I do. God, I love you so much. I'm thankful for your pursuit of me in my life, and I have seen it over and over. I'm thankful that you convict me of sin. I'm thankful that when I sin, I feel conviction in my life, and I know, God, that it is because of you. I know that it is you pursuing me and chasing me down even though I say nevertheless so many times. So God, thank you. I am so thankful for you. I recognize today that myself, none of us in here, have done anything good enough to earn your pursuit. We didn't look good enough to you for you to chase us, for you to run us down. Before the foundations of the world, you simply chose to chase us and to run after us and to pursue us and to save us. And God, I thank you. I'm humbled by that fact that I have never been good enough to earn your pursuit. I love you for the freedom that you operate in. I love you that you operate in complete and total freedom. And I surrender to your pursuit this morning. And God, I pray for those in here who are wrestling with your pursuit of them. I pray, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help surrender to take place and obedience to take forth. We love you, God, and we thank you for your son, Jesus, who is greater, greater than this prophet Jonah. I pray all this in your name. Amen.